Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Corks 96 FM. Oh, do you ever have the experience at about, I don't know, five to seven in the morning of trying to take cornflakes out of your sinuses? Ross Brown's karaoke attempt on this morning's record show, attempting to sing a Jennifer Hudson song. I'm still not the better of it. I hope they put it up on their highlights show Saturday morning. Good morning, 1850-715-996 is the number. The text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. And the email is opinion at 96fm.ie. You've got an email from a listener in Singapore. And it really was a case of read it and weep. Our podcast, of course, which we put up after the, uh, in the afternoon gets listened in the four corners of the world absolutely waiting for the day we get an email from the International Space Station to say someone's been listening to us up there but we had a, an email from Singapore which I'll read later on read it and weep is what you'll be doing because just like Australia just like New Zealand they are getting their lives back they're getting their lives back um, speaking of faraway places what do you make of all this travel that is going on? There was a primetime report on, was it Monday night, but the number of people coming through the airports, coming through into Dublin airport after being on Jolly Bops, uh, winter Jolly Bops in Lanzarote and Tenerife and other nice places that we'd all love to be able to get to, but we realised like adults we won't be able to get to for the foreseeable. Half of all passengers arriving into Ireland one day this week were coming from holiday destinations. This is according to the Taoiseach who was speaking to his parliamentary party. He said 800 people travelled into the country on Tuesday. 397 of them were coming back from a holiday. Government is now planning a €500 fine for anybody breaking travel restrictions for making non-essential journeys abroad. And you know, I don't care how much you'd love to go to the sun. God, I'd be with you if I could. I don't care if you have a little housheen in Fertiventura. I don't care if you have a place that you rent every year in Lanzarote for the last 30 years. You can't go now. You just can't go. And people from next week are going to be fined 500 yo-yos when they get off the plane. And I think it's going to be a case that it'll be 500 yo-yos for every member of the party. 
Like if you're for yourself and the wife and Nana and the kids, like that's a hefty bill. It'll probably cost you more to get home than it cost you to get there. Because you're not supposed to be going there. And this coming to you from a fella who said this time last year that if I had to wear a wetsuit and a helmet to get on my summer flight, I would. Well, I didn't. I didn't go. And I'm kind of writing it off this year as well. It ain't going to happen, lads. It's not going to happen. And I'm sorry, I have no sympathy at the moment for anybody coming over home from being away from a holiday. It's on the front of the Irish Daily Mail as well today, and it makes all the newspapers. Again, the Irish Times, Taoiseach Michal Martin addressing the Fianna Fáil Parliamentary Party gave those numbers again. He said legislation was being drafted now to introduce new plans for quarantine of some travellers in hotels and others at home. Minister for Justice Helen McEntee gave a list of South African countries, or sorry, South American countries that is now you can't fly in from, effectively banned without a visa. South Africa, allowances made only in exceptional circumstances. We can't. We simply can't. But that having been said, people who do public health for a living are already telling us it's not enough what we're doing here. And people who work in places like Australia, where they have got this thing under control, are telling us not enough. Not enough, it won't work. Also, there was a lot of talk, I think, at many of the parliamentary parties last night about zero COVID. There was another row about zero COVID in the Dáil yesterday. And there's this idea among our leaders that zero COVID could not be done that we could not get down to a point where our community transmission was so damn low that we could go back to normal and just isolate the cases as we found them. That's what zero COVID is. It's not about there being none there. It's been that you have so little of it there and, and what's there is under control. So that if something goes out of control, you grab it straight away and you quench it like a small fire. A bit like a small forest fire. Take that analogy. Small little fire corner of the woods you get in there and you quench it and you make sure to quench it quickly and you drive everything you have into quenching it rather than letting it take over and burn the woods down that's what zero COVID is about and you don't let anybody into the wood with matches there's the thing I don't know I I don't know where we're going lads I don't know and you know what this is something we'll talk about next week on the programme we're working on a, a few different things to do with this but Is it getting to you now? Is it starting to get to you? And I don't mean the whole mental health problem. We've talked about that repeatedly and I've no doubt we will talk about it again. People who struggle with their mental health are struggling big time with lockdown. But I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about people like I'm happy to say myself. I'm a fairly happy-go-lucky Easy enough, getting along, fella. My mental health, thankfully, I suffer from robustly good mental health. I'm generally in great form. But I'm finding it hard now. And I think thousands of people, a lot of people listening to me this morning, mothers and fathers, uncles and aunties, people who normally get on with life, are struggling and struggling big time with this one. This one is hard. It's getting too hard. To keep living like this. I'm going to talk a bit more about that next week. Not about people who are struggling with depression or anything like that. They're, they're, they have problems of their own. 
But people who normally get through life grand and handy, grand and handy, who are really saying, no, 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 it's too hard. It's too hard. So if you'd like to tell me anything about that, fling me an email, opinion at 96am.ie, throw me a text or WhatsApp at 083 396 or give us a call next week when we're talking about it. But for now, let's look at a comparison between here and Australia because we are going nowhere near what they are doing. We heard earlier in the week from Debbie, who's home in Cork at the moment from Australia, and could not believe how lax and how lazy things were here. She outlined how it took her nearly a month to get permission to get out. She had to come home for a minimum of three months. She came home to see her dad, who's terminally ill. And when she goes back, herself and her children will have to quarantine for two, two and a half weeks. And then she told us about how the rules changed like that. Like that. One internal flight, the rules changed while they were in the air. The flight landed and people were marched into a bus, into a hotel. That's how fast it happens. We're nowhere near that. Nowhere at all. But let's catch up with a good friend of the show in Australia and ask him to compare and contrast what's going on between here and there. That's next. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Go, go, go. It's the weekend. Yes, it's the weekend. Club 96 is the soundtrack to your Saturday night on Cork's 96 FM. Darren Johnston spins all the biggest hits from 6. Then Rob Allen's got the old school mix from 10. Your Saturday night sorted. Sorted. Cork's 96 FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 9696. On Cork's 96 FM. Dr. Niall Conroy joining me via Skype from your home in Queensland. And I think the expression, the land of wonder down under, was never more apt for the pictures and the videos we see coming out of all parts of Australia over the last few weeks, where life, for the most part, uh, is back to normal. Unless, of course, that is, you have to travel in and travel out, in which case there's very, very strict quarantine. I'll get to that in a minute. You, of course, uh, spending some time off at the moment with a new baby. It gives you an opportunity, being off, to, to look more closely at what's happening at home. And how have you been feeling about the developments of the last few days? Yeah, I, I've been keeping quite a close eye on what's been going on in Ireland. Um, you know, obviously have some skin in the game with most of my family being over there, my parents being over there. And it's a it's a worrying situation. I've been sorry to see how, how things have been going. I, you know, once you're once you're into thousands of cases a day i mean that's that's just really out of control it's um yeah it's been difficult to watch glad to see things are improving a little bit in in that case numbers are um going down but i mean this is the pattern pj that we've seen sort of throughout the the last 12 months in ireland is that case numbers go up and you you lock the country down to some extent case numbers start to go down and people say oh look we're winning 
and uh, we're doing really well. And you know, if they if they keep the country in lockdown for another while, case numbers will drop very low, and you'll hear people to start to say, "Oh, look, we're we're we're, we're the best in Europe, or we're the second best in Europe, or whatever." Um, and people will think we're great, and then inevitably there'll be calls to open up. And when you open up, if there's any circulating COVID in your population, we all know what happens. We've been through this now a few times. You'll open up, case numbers will start to go up and open up, and next thing you're in a lockdown again. So I've been I've been watching with a little bit of frustration. I think for the first time, there's been um, some public and political demand to really try and achieve a, a zero COVID sort of status for the country. And I, I, I've been calling for that from the beginning. Um, and to really, I, to be honest with you, I thought the um, the time had gone. I, I didn't think there was any appetite um, for it. But it's been great to see people keen to embrace the zero COVID idea. But it really seems as though the, the, the sort of the politicians are just not keen on grasping the nettle, hearing lots of half measures about sort of, well, we'll, we'll do quarantine in hotels for this group of people or this group of people can quarantine at home. This group of people will be exempt if they have a test. And to be honest, JPJ, you know, hotel quarantine, zero COVID, it's all or nothing. You, you you don't you don't get there with mm. with half measures. If you if you try, you'll just end up in more and more lockdowns until the vaccines get us out of this. The, the thing about uh, our, our leaders, uh, uh, the the Taoiseach in particular, and the Tanishta, who as you know is a, is a doctor himself, Michal Martin seems to be dismissing zero COVID as some kind of unachievable fantasy. Now, as someone who's actually done it in Queensland. How does that sound to you? Yeah, the, you'll, you'll never find um, a world in which the, the situation is exactly comparable. You know, I hear a lot of this, well, Australia's different and New Zealand's different, and, that, and that's true. But mostly they're different because they made a choice to, 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 get, to try to get to zero COVID. And, you know, a lot of the issues that... Ireland faces or would face Australia face too. We close internal borders, thousands of kilometres um, of normally unchecked borders. Um, we rely enormously on overseas tourism. Some of our industries, um, like our fruit picking industries, for example, um, rely almost exclusively on backpackers. They're gone. Um, you know, our university sector is heavily reliant on Asian students. So all these challenges, you know, they might be slightly different in Ireland, but, you know, every country who wants to achieve zero COVID will face enormous challenges. It's very, very difficult. But the point is, and I think, you know, you can talk all day about the challenges. The reality is, I think the country and the world, frankly, needs to accept there are two states and two states only in which you can exist as a nation when there's a, a pandemic like this. You can eliminate it and you can have some form of normality or you can live with restrictions and lockdowns. There's no in-between. People keep trying to sell this idea of, well, look, we'll try and live with 10 or 20 or 50 cases a day or whatever it is and we'll get some semblance of normality. The reality is you can't achieve 10 or 20 or 30 cases a day because once you have low numbers like that, 
society opens up. And unless you can keep control of every single solitary case, which no country has ever managed to do, then you'll start new transmission chains that you don't know anything about. And you'll end up with um, with further sort of onward transmission. You'll end up with outbreaks, you'll end up with surges, and you'll end up back to square one. So basically, you know, you can talk all day about the difficulties, but, you know, when you put yourself forward for a cabinet position, you know, I, I would imagine if you'd asked these people before they were elected about a pandemic, they would say, we would do everything that needs to be done. We will leave no stone unturned to protect the Irish people. And you'd just like to see a little bit more of the the can-do about the whole situation rather than the uh, the problem list. The border, you, you mentioned that all the internal borders in Oz were closed. One of the arguments you'd get straight away from a politician here would be, well, you see, those borders are not disputed. It's one part of a country into the other part of a country, that you don't understand the complexities. Is that a little bit patronising, Niall? It is, especially um, because public health doctors and public health teams are really good at finding solutions to difficult problems like this. So the first thing I would say is Ireland didn't invent difficult borders. We seem to think we did, and we certainly didn't invent um, big communicable diseases outbreaks on difficult borders. I've worked in a disputed region of Somalia. I've worked along the Nepalese and Indian border, and I've worked in Sierra Leone along some difficult tribal boundaries and ran health projects in all those in all those areas. And there's, there's a fairly well-worn path to you know, to coming up with those solutions. It's not a it's it's not a one size fits all. But I mean, you you know, you, you get your senior politicians to sit down and talk to each other. You get your civil servants to talk to each other. And the most, most, most important thing is you talk to the residents. And basically, I I mean, look, I'm not based in Ireland, but I haven't seen any great evidence of these discussions. And um, I, I don't know what this civil service and who they're talking to is but i also haven't seen any evidence of people along the border counties being um being consulted around what this would mean for their livelihood and how you would deal with those problems and mitigate them so look it's a difficult issue there's no question whatsoever about it but i suppose what people or the impression i get back home is people want to see that somebody's trying if we come out and say look we're absolutely certain this can't work. We've tried everything, but this is going to send us back 30 years in terms of the troubles. We, we, we know that for a fact. I think people might might be a little bit more understanding. I think certainly the people I talk to back home and the public health people I talk to are just frustrated that nobody seems to be trying. Mm. On the restrictions announced in the last couple of days with regard to travel and quarantine, like you said, hotel quarantine for one group and another group stay at home. Should the guards were even saying yesterday on this programme, uh, the Association of Guard Sergeant Inspectors, that they have no powers now to knock at my front door and ask to see me, to see am I quarantining. They have no powers as, as it stands. Compare that to Queensland. What powers are there? Pretty much everything you need. This this really surprised me when I when I heard about it over the last few days that there's um, sort of legal issues and legislative issues. Most countries um, have a fairly catch-all public health act and which is designed for exactly situations like this you know you don't 
you, you don't pu- you know pull out the big guns until you really need it but you have to have this in your locker for if you get you know your really strange outbreak of of an Ebola type thing or something that you're just not expecting you have to have this stuff ready to go and um, I to be honest with you I would have assumed Ireland had this stuff ready to go already um most countries do Australia does so we have when, when we get a case of COVID we actually legally um, put that person into isolation in, in their own home so we can issue a legally binding quarantine notice and we do the same for all their close contacts we don't have the police kicking their doors down we do it in a pleasant way it's a healthcare worker usually rings them up and sort of says look we're putting you into quarantine they email you a legal notice and the police um, will drop out and do spot checks and the police have all the powers they need to go in and check that person like the, the, the legal stuff isn't an issue and I think that's a real learning point for the next pandemic because we will have another pandemic is that the legal side of things need to be shored up it's it seems strange a year into your pandemic that people are talking about basic stuff around quarantine and isolation orders that that's not possible and the police don't have the powers I think that's a that's a real learning point, to be honest with you. Looking at the numbers, I noticed one of the public health doctors in the west of Ireland quoted in the news today that, look, okay, the daily reported figures are on the turn and that's positive, but don't take that as being the full picture. Don't get excited. Yeah, and I think what she's getting the point across is that the numbers that you report every day, and I think lots of people see them every day reported by the HSE, are not necessarily reflective of the actual number of cases. Um, There are two things that I suppose those numbers miss. They miss the people who don't get tested, and there's probably more people with COVID that we never know about than there is that, that we find. Um, some of the early studies from the first wave showed that we only found about a third of people. Um, and then there's also the fact that we now don't test close contacts because the laboratories are overwhelmed. So what used to happen was if you or I um, tested positive for COVID, um, all of our close contacts would automatically get a test. What's happening now in Ireland is only if you're sick um, and you're a close contact, would you get a test? And to be honest with you, that's not an unreasonable use of resources. If your laboratories are stretched, that's not an unreasonable use of resources, as long as all those close contacts are quarantining themselves. But the problem is they're not given quarantine orders. It's a sort of a, you know, and it's an advisory. We know from studies of lots of different outbreaks in lots of different places around the world that when when things like this are advisory, um, you get about 30% of people who, who just don't comply. And as you get into more and more sort of lockdowns, I would imagine you'll get less people complying. Like people are people are more willing to comply in lockdown one than they, they would be in lockdown four. And I, I think the take home message in Ireland is there is absolutely stacks of COVID around. And, um, you know, I, I, I certainly would be um, taking all possible precautions at the moment. If you had the ear, finally, Niall, of the Taoiseach and the Minister for Health, and those in decision-making positions, if you had the ear for five minutes, give me three simple things you would tell them to do that you know from your experience in Queensland will work. Yeah, I'll give you, I'll give you one thing, PJ. I would tell them to make a decision um, to, either, to, to either go and um, 
eliminate this thing or to decide to live with it and to be honest and upfront with the population about the fact that there's no in-between. If you want to eliminate it, you need mandatory hotel quarantine, you need to sort the border with Northern Ireland and you need to empower your public health doctors. If you want to live with it, you need to tell people that that's the plan, that there will be continuing restrictions, that there will be continuing lockdowns and that there's a risk that we will get overwhelmed in terms of our hospital system. So the only way to even make a, a start with living with the virus is to absolutely drown the appropriate agencies in resources. The eight regional public health units around the country who are on their knees at the moment should be absolutely drowned in resources. The police need to be resourced to, to enforce whatever regulations you um, you decide to implement. The intensive care units, the hospitals, they all need to be properly resourced. Basically, if you're going to live with this virus, it's going to be really expensive and it's going to be really resource intensive. And, you know, so you've got to be willing to, to back that up and to be honest with people. I think that's the key message. People just need to make a decision about what they want to do rather than talking about why one way is too difficult. Niall, always good to catch up with you. Good luck with with the new job of, of fatherhood and congratulations. Thank you very much, PJ. Pleasure as always. That, I, I, every time I talk to the men, either on or off air, I ask myself the same question. What is talent and experience and knowledge like that doing in Queensland? Why isn't it here running the show? Our, our loss is definitely Australia's gain. That's Dr. Niall Conroy in Queensland. Uh, where they haven't had an outbreak worth talking about for months now. Because when they get a case or two, and that's what they get a case or two, they just quench it. Quench it within days and they isolate like a different... And like he said, isolation orders. So you get it to your phone. An isolation order requiring you to isolate at home. Yesterday, Annette Cunningham from the Association of Garda Sergeants and Inspectors says to me on this programme, we actually have no powers to go into anybody's house. If they knock on your door and say, is, is John Murphy here? Uh, no. Okay, then. Is John Murphy here? Uh, yes, he is, yeah. Can I speak with him? Uh, no, you can't. Did he so? That's pretty much the extent of it. What good is it? Whereas in Australia, you get an order to your phone. 1857 I'll read this email now. Uh, this comes to in, into us from someone who picks up our podcast every day in Singapore. Hi there. I was listening to your podcast as I walked home from dropping my kid to school. I'm now sitting having breakfast at a cafe with my wife. The discussion is on how New Zealand have handled lockdown. We're still a bit limited here, wearing masks in public unless we're eating or drinking. There's quarantine at the borders. Food and beverage ends at half ten we can't meet in groups of more than eight. There are cases in quarantine being imported, but very few outside of that. We went through a 73-day lockdown in March, April, then a gradual loosening. You mentioned that Ireland borders needing to be open for supply chain. Singapore imports pretty much everything, and they've kept that going. There are 5.5 million people here in 710 square kilometres. Ireland is 170,000 square kilometres. When will the people take responsibility 
and stop blaming everybody else. I know plenty of people who are openly flouting the rules, flying home at Christmas, seeing people outside of their household, but in the usual Irish fashion, it's, ah, sure, we're only seeing people in small groups at home, or sure, we're not causing this. People are having family gatherings, going on holidays. People need to cop on, stay away from others, and wear their masks. And that coming to us from a restaurant in Singapore, where a guy's having breakfast with his wife. It's not normal yet. It's not fully back to normal yet. But they're getting there. 1850-715-996. I don't know who you are. You didn't have the gumption to leave your name, but someone says I'm a mouthpiece for the government. Texter wants to know about the meat wor- were the workers in meat plants. What kind of screening are they going through? Should they be even brought in at all? Well, many of them came in from Brazil. Uh, there was fourteen or 1,500 people came in from Brazil over Christmas and New Year. And one must assume, because of the nature of work in meat plants, and a lot of Brazilian people work in meat plants in this country, did they quarantine? And if not, why not? They should be quarantining. Let them go work at the meat plant then. Delighted to have them. Their skills are obviously valuable to us. But put them into two weeks quarantine first. 1850-715-996. Hi PJ, I feel if Michal Martin wants to be remembered as a good, respected Taoiseach, he really needs to make the big decision now for once and for all. As a healthcare worker, I'm begging him, lock down this country. He and Leo have failed the country. 3,000 bereaved families will tell him that. Do something to prevent this from happening to thousands more. And one more message in this batch with a lot of them coming in. Hi, PJ. I have to go abroad. My 10-year-old son must go for a serious operation so the state can go and F itself. Isn't Michal planning to go to Washington on Paddy's Day? Well, two parts to that. First of all, I would honestly think that having to go abroad with your son, for your son to have an operation would be classed as essential travel. And I imagine... I suspect that you not only would be allowed to go, but that they'd help you, uh, to be fair. You'd probably have to quarantine at the other end, but there's no no problem with that. You're not going over for a few days on the lash in Lanza. You know, you're not doing that. You're going off for your son to have surgery. That's fine. This would be classed as essential travel. As regards Washington, D.C. and me hall on St. Patrick's Day... I have made my feelings very plain and I continue to have them and I will not be talked out of them if Michal goes to Washington, D.C. to see Joe Biden on St. Patrick's Day, then he's lost the dressing room and he deserves to lose it. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Cork loves the arts. We do too. That's why we bring you the Arts House. Every Sunday on Cork's 96 FM. Hi, it's Elmery. Each week we bring you the latest news from our vibrant and creative communities all around Cork. Whether it's tips for the best live gigs online, new initiatives from Cork's writers and musicians, join Elmery Mall and Connor Tallon as we work to support and keep the arts alive in Cork. The Arts House. Sunday mornings, 8 to 10. With Griffin's Potatoes Cork. Fresh flowery and full of taste. It's at the root of what we do. On Cork's 96 FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850 715 996. On Cork's 96 FM. 
told you we have listeners in Singapore. Great. We have listeners in Leinster House too. Deputy Thomas Gould was listening to Dr. Conroy from Queensland. Thomas, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Rock a sense? Yeah, PJ, I think, um, I think, uh, they said it there. People have enough, people are fed up of all these lockdowns. They want this issue dealt with no. Like, we've been saying from, since last year, PJ, our spokesperson, Darren O'Rourke has been saying about mandatory quarantining and lockdown and no one has listened to us. And now we see, like the Taoiseach, Mary Lou McCann raised this issue in the Doyle, in the, in the Doyle yesterday with the Taoiseach. And it turns out that half the people who flew in last week, about 17,000 people, were coming home from holidays. I'll give you the the figures just so we keep it accurate because let's let's keep all these things accurate. This is what uh, the Taoiseach told his parliamentary party meeting. Uh, There was 500, there was, yeah, 800 people travelled into the country Tuesday. 397 of them were returning from holidays. Half of them. And TJ, we know that last week there's between there's around thirty one to thirty three thousand arriving in here every week, mm-hmm. right? Now, if the if the T-shirt is saying that half from yesterday were coming back from holidays, to, to me this is crazy. Like, to be honest, they should go into a hotel and they should they should be quarantined for two weeks and they should pay the bill. Anyone who's going on holidays during the pandemic now is risking everyone's health. And it's not good enough and it's not acceptable. Now, I suppose one, one of the things that will be, you will be told by, say, the people coming back, I know that coming out of the Canary Islands at the moment, uh, you can, you're supposed to go for a test the day before and you get the result of the test to your phone and that carries you through as a negative PCR test. So you are coming in with a negative PCR test as you were told to do. But your argument yes. is they shouldn't be going in the first place. Yes, but also them test PJ, the medical experts reckon that 40% of the people who test negative five days beforehand still develop COVID because it's a 14 period yeah. uh, for us to develop. Oh yeah, there's a lot so of question over one PCR test. Absolutely there is. But Thomas, we've had now a kind of a version of mandatory quarantine announced this week. And what you're told by government is, look, this is all we can do. We have to change legislation. We have to put a lot of resources into it. It's going to take time. And they tell us that quarantining everybody who comes in is not practical. Do you accept that? No, I don't. PJ, if we bite the bullet now to try to get uh, infection rates down to a minimum to suppress them, like even in New Zealand last week, they had another case of it. So I don't believe... We're ever going to get to a situation where we're going to completely wipe it off. Well, they had a they had a case of it, but yeah, they they extinguished it in 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 days, and they literally tested anything that breathed within a hundred yards of that case. And that's what we, that's the you see. If we can get the figures down, we can then get back testing and tracing and tracking it down. And like we've been saying for months, the only way to beat the virus is to get ahead of the virus. The problem for the Irish government is where they're always behind. Like you heard me on Martin yesterday talking about, like, PJ, it's like half closing your door, right? There's no point in half closing your door, you might as well leave it wide open, right? What we're saying is we need to lock the door now. We need to stop people coming in. And then if we can do that, 
maybe then by the summer we'll be able to get people back moving again. Mm. On a talking point, this, though, Thomas, what about yeah. what about civil liberties? Because I know that you know on another day at another time, Sinn Fein would be the very one saying we need to mind people's civil liberties. Do civil liberties have to take a back seat here for a while? No, they don't. We're, what we're talking about is people leaving the country. What we're talking about is people uh, doing the right thing. There's people dying, PJ, every day. What about their civil liberties? So we need to... like PJ, I, it's, I've never put down a week, like the past week, with people and the issues they're coming in with. Right? People have enough of COVID. They can't cope. We know me, the government needs to stand up and say, listen, we're going to sort this now. We're going to do our very best to reduce the infection rates, get out the vaccine, a proper rollout of the vaccine, and mm-hmm. get people back to normal. Because people want to know that they're going to return to normal. And if we're going to do that, we need to be tough now so we can, you know, we can get the benefits for the summer. What's happening north of the border at the moment, Thomas? I mean, what is the quarantine situation there? Because from the look of it, from where I'm seeing, from where I'm observing it, it seems to be even more lax than ours is. Actually, the numbers have come down, PJ, if you look at what they've done over less than the last three or four weeks. Now, the north before Christmas uh, was very, very bad. But PJ is like everything. Before, in, in after December, we were the best in the world. I wanted the best in the world with getting our rates down. And by the first week in January, we were the worst in the world. Mm. You see, the problem with this pandemic is if, if, if the government doesn't have a strategy, like we, people can cope with mm. lockdown you, after lockdown. Would you, would you, would you close the border, Thomas, if you had your way? Mm. No, you see, PJ... The, all the all the counties are not a lot travel between counties, so there's no border between Cork and Kerry, but there's still guards on the roads. So it's the same between the six counties and the twenty-six mm-hmm. between uh, <clears throat> between Dundalk and going into Armagh. There should be there should be uh, guards on this side uh, in Dundalk, and there should be PSNI in Armagh, the same way there is in Cork. And do you and know if Kerry. Michelle O'Neill in the north is working on that kind of an arrangement? Because that would make absolute sense. You put the PSNI five kilometres inside the border, and you put, like you said, the guards uh, five miles south or five kilometres south of the border. And and unless you live or work in that ten kilometre zone, you don't go in or out of it. But PJ, that's for every county. That's for Limerick, Tipperary, Waterford. That's just not for the six counties. We need to start people moving around. Like you, you see the some of the no, no. Focus on focus on the happy. northern border, though, because at, no, the, at the moment we can't go more than five k from home. And those of us who are behaving, like my, I, I haven't seen my best friend and his family over Christmas and New Year because uh, for the first time in I'd say twenty five years because I can't go to Kerry now. Yes, and, and, and I won't, and I won't, PJ. I won't dream of it until I'm a let. And, and most of us won't. So, PJ, he's not, they're not, your best friends aren't living in Belfast. They're living in Kerry, which you're doing the right thing. So, when t- people talk about the border, it's not the six county border, it's the border between each county people need to recognize. So, you want every county, border, every, every county border pleased? Oh, yeah, of course, there should be. Yeah. With, 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 PJ, with, with what, though? With what? <laughs> PJ, it's happening every day. We haven't, enough, ga- we, have, we haven't enough guards in that case. We haven't enough no. guards to do the counties in Munster. PJ, they're doing rolling patrols, and that's what should happen. I was in Blackpool yesterday, the guard people in the Commons Road. Uh, I was out the street road um, 
og gå nok til You throw everything, you throw every resource you have at it. A couple of soldiers would help the guards out. People are saying here, Thomas, you didn't answer the the northern question. Like, what is the situation with quarantine in the north right now? Well, the English have brought in a new system since, I think, Tuesday that people have to self But the English are like like Ireland. They're not being... They're not enforcing a strict mandatory quarantine from everywhere. And that's... like So they have another version. We need a strict mandatory quarantine for the whole island. That's what we need. And TJ, can I say this now? People need... They need kind of hope... And if they if they could see this for the next three months, and if we have a lockdown for the next three months, and people say, then we come out of it, at least it gives people light at the end of the tunnel. Because I'm talking to people at the moment, and people are finding it very very hard. We'll be talking about that after the weekend, I imagine, Thomas, because we're putting we're asking for people to send in their their messages to us. But I think that's, and I'm going to finish with you on that one briefly, if you would, like. Even the toughest of, of constitutions, like I am a tough old devil, I can take most things. I, I never, I, I suffer from extremely good mental health. I, I'm, I'm, I'm generally more optimistic than I am pessimistic, but I'm sick of it. And I think a lot of people are in a position just sick of it. And it's getting to them. And we're going to focus a bit on that after the weekend. Do you think a lot of people are like that? Yes, I see. It's only in January that I've seen it go really bad. I, I've been contacted by people, uh, let's say, during 2020, but in the last three weeks, it's been really bad. And uh, unfortunately, I have some really horrific cases where I've families have contacted me for support and advice. Uh, what I say to people is, uh, don't forget the Samaritans. Uh, my office is available. Every, like the one thing is just help out there for anyone who needs it. I know Fergal now and your own team. So, but people are really suffering. And you said the PJ, if people like me and you and people who have jobs to go to every day and who don't have the same financial worries as most ordinary people have, people are, people are breaking point. The cost of heating, feeding their families, because everyone's at home all day long. Um, like, we need, people need support now, and they need to see a light at the end of the tunnel, because for a lot of people, PJ, the people are feeling depressed, they're feeling despair, and um, mm. I just hope that they can get through it. I'm going to put this one to you, Thomas, because, and I, I don't think you went... But people are still asking the question and continuing to ask the question with regard to Sinn Féin and Bobby Story's funeral. Was it a bad idea to go in such numbers in the first place when you're now trying to argue a different point? No, you see, Peter, because at the time we followed the public health guidelines. I actually went to the funeral because the guidelines were changed that week. And that's the problem. People went, like, there's been other funerals that I've attended in Cork as well, and I've that. Where there, was, like, there was friends of mine passed away in the last couple of days that I couldn't, I couldn't go to, right? Because we're not allowed to go. Back then, over the summer, like, we all thought, 
over the summer there when cases were down, people went travelling, we were on about staycations, people were travelling. I travelled up the west coast, I went from Manhead all the way down. Um, deal, with, deal with the restrictions at the time. I went, I went north, and to be honest with you, I'd love to go again if I'm let. If I'm allowed this year, I'd love to go yes. again. And PJ, the, the, the thing about it was, people who stayed in Ireland at the time, it's different now. With the English variant, it's so contagious. What we're dealing with now is different from last year. Okay. And with this new South African one, and Brazilian we have to protect people now because okay. we're in a different place. All right, leave it there, Thomas. I've no doubt we'll talk again soon about it. 1850 A lot of people saying he doesn't answer the question about the border. Uh, he doesn't answer about what they're doing up there when they're in government. And, of course, the Bobby Story funeral will be thrown at Sinn Féin while there's life left in people's bodies. And it was, if you ask me, and I know people who are members of Sinn Féin and they would defend it to the last, it was a stupid thing to do, to go up there in those kind of numbers when you're looking at political credibility down the line. But hey, such is life, 1850-715-996. You can go to the Canaries, says Ted, but I can't go to Ballygarvan to see my new grandchild. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much how it is. The Opinion Live with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. Yeah, another message there in the text this morning. Someone has seen in their morning paper, not sure which paper, but they've seen in their morning paper that the Taoiseach isn't ruling out this trip to Washington, D.C. Uh, to meet Joe Biden. It would be an awful, stupid thing to do. An awful stupid thing to do. Do it on Skype. Do it on Zoom. Do it on Fe- Do it somewhere. Do a big thing. Make a thing about it. Bring the television cameras in at a social distance to your office. And let them bring cameras into Joe Biden in the old Oval Office. And do it over Skype. Do it over Zoom. Take the public relations boost. You could even pretend to hand over a bowl of shamrock. Do it virtually. Do you know what I mean? No, Michal just cannot. It would be stupid, stupid to even think about going on a plane to Washington, D.C. in the midst of all this. When you're asking the rest of us to stay at home and not go out of our five-kilometer circle and asking us not to go on holidays and telling us that we shouldn't go on holidays, uh, not to be going to Washington, D.C. Set an example. I know it's not a holiday. It's very much a work trip. But is it an essential work trip? Is it a work meeting that you could have over Zoom or Skype? Of course it is. People are doing work meetings and conferences all over the world right now using those platforms. So, no, it would be an awful stupid thing to do. Good morning, 1857-15996 is the number to call. The text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie if you missed anything in our first hour this morning. Remember, we put our podcast up mid-afternoon usually between 2 and 3. You'll find it first on Twitter because we tweet the link and after it goes up on Twitter, it goes eventually to all of our various platforms, including the Cork's 96FM app where you'll find it under the podcasts section. Now, a lot of confusion, a lot of reportage in all the newspapers and the television and the radio that is hard to get your head around in the last couple of days about AstraZeneca. Now, sorry, before I do this, Pfizer issued good news this morning, good statement in this morning from Pfizer BioNTech. They say their vaccine, this is a this is the the big boy, this is the, the strong boy of the vaccines. They now say they've tested 
their vaccine and it is effective against the UK variant and the South African variant. That's good news coming in this morning from Pfizer. But the one we're all told would be the game changer was the AstraZeneca vaccine, the, the, the Oxford vaccine as they called it. It was a game changer for a couple of reasons. One of them being it could store it in an ordinary fridge and it didn't need deep freeze or it didn't need special transport, anything like that. And once it comes in, in huge numbers, and we were told we'd be getting huge numbers of doses in because the EU was buying in block and we'd get a percentage to match our, our population. We were told that you could be vaccinated at the pharmacist or vaccinated at the GP's office or vaccinated in a place like a mass vaccination clinic. They're talking about opening City Hall as one of them. And that was all great. I was saying, gee, that'd be brilliant. Now we'll all be able to get this. Now there's a row has broken out between AstraZeneca and the EU. And it's very worrying for those of us waiting on our vaccines. We hear this morning we might only now get half as many as we thought we were going to get. It's very complicated. It's to do with contracts. And I suppose the bottom line for the ordinary punter, the ordinary Joe and Mary Soap, is that it affects when we might be able to get our jabs. And yesterday it got unseemly when the EU and AstraZeneca started squaring up against each other like a couple of drunks with one pint too many and and just tearing into one another. But but it's complex and it's hard to get your head around and it's to do with contracts and do with law and all that. So I reckon we should try and translate it into plain man's English so we can understand. One man who's been writing about it at length is the political editor of Euronews, Darren McCaffrey, joins me from Brussels. Darren, good morning to you. Morning, hi, hello. Good to have you on on the opinion line. Can you simplify this for me, please, in into words, if you like, words of one syllable that we can all get our head around? What is happening with the AstraZeneca vaccine in the EU? Well, I think it's pretty simple in the degree that the EU uh, signed a deal with that company back in August to deliver. I think there's over 120 million vaccines in the first quarter, the first three months of this year. Uh, then AstraZeneca got back to the EU at the end of the last year and said, well, hold on a second, actually, we can only really deliver 80 million uh, in the first three months. And then last weekend, they turned around again and said, uh, hold on a moment, actually, we can only deliver 33 million vaccines in the first quarter of this year. Now, that's 33 million for the whole of Europe. Uh, Ireland obviously is getting, I think it's 1.1% of uh, that total uh, distribution. So uh, the EU, unsurprisingly, are pretty angry. Uh, have AstraZeneca said why they can't do this? What, have they said why well, they've so had to go Yeah, their explanation is that uh, the production site in Belgium, uh, that the yield there, the amount of vaccine, essentially, that they can make, is not quite as high as they had hoped. Um, and they're having problems. They say it's teething problems. These vaccines will be delivered, just not essentially in the first three months of this year, because, you know, this is a new vaccine, they're having to train people up, and that it's just not going as smoothly as they had hoped. Now, where this gets a little bit more complicated, but in some ways more interesting, is that there are actually four of those sites across Europe that make this vaccine. And when I say Europe, I mean the continent of Europe, because two of them are based in the UK. And this is where we had this big argument yesterday from the EU saying, well, if you can't make the vaccine in Belgium, why don't you give access to the sites in the UK so that we can have some of those vaccines 
given the fact that there's no problems when it comes to supplying the UK with the AstraZeneca vaccine. Yeah. And they signed a contract with the EU, didn't they, to provide a certain number of vaccines. So the EU is now saying, well, you must honour this contract. Yeah, this is where we uh, don't really know where the truth lies because we haven't actually seen uh, those contracts. And it would be helpful if we could, because ultimately, you know, this is uh, our money, uh, European taxpayers' money that the Commission have spent this on. Uh, Essentially, AstraZeneca, earlier on this week, the chief executive of that company said that uh, they had signed a deal with Britain three months before they'd signed one with the EU, and that essentially they had a Britain-first policy, that Britain had first dibs on the the vaccines. Now, this is something that the EU denies. Uh, We don't know where the truth lies in all of that, Mm. but again, that is built into this argument or possible uh, criticism of the European Commission. Uh, Did they sign a deal that was good enough? Why did they sign it so much later uh, than the UK? And... Can we have some transparency? Let's see what those deals actually say. The the company seems to be saying that what it agreed to was to make its best efforts to supply X amount of vaccines to the EU. The EU says no. It was more of a commitment than that. Do, do we know exactly what the commitment was or what the level? Because we can't see the contract, can we? No, and actually, to be fair, the European Commission has now called on AstraZeneca to release the contract so that we can properly uh, read it. But you're right, AstraZeneca said that they didn't make any firm legal guarantee that they would deliver 120 million vaccines uh, in the first three months of this year. All they said is that we would try our best. Uh, We will, uh, you know, essentially try and get these vaccines to you, but we cannot make a guarantee. Now, this is pretty standard, apparently, in legal contracts, this idea of best practice, mm. or best efforts, I should say. But the, 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 the problem with the Commission has, or the European Union, is essentially saying, well, if it, even if it is your best efforts, surely the most sensible thing is, if you can't deliver from your production sites in Belgium and the Netherlands, why not just send us a few vaccines over from the UK? They've got more than enough vaccines. In mm. fact, the British press this morning are reporting the fact that they're going to have more than enough vaccines. So why not reroute some of those vaccines to make up the shortfall that you, it's your problem you've got a shortfall, and send them to us in the European Union? It's, it's all something that you would have thought, Darren, would have been sorted out before you put the first drop into the first vial. Yeah, I think the big criticism here is, I mean, there's clearly always going to be teething problems with this vaccine. It's new, uh, you know, people will have to be trained up, production sites have been set up. It's complicated stuff, isn't it? You know, it's not that easy. And clearly everyone wants to get these vaccines as quickly as possible because it is our best way out of this pandemic. It will save lives and hopefully lift lockdown. So it is not a surprise uh, that there are problems and the pressure is on essentially to try and get this done i think what's gone wrong this week is that the eu have somehow got themselves in a very bitter very public war Mm. with ultimately a pharmaceutical company they're going to need to rely on in in the months to come um and i just think a public slanging match isn't necessarily the best way to go about this two things we should add though there was a meeting last night between both sides they say it was constructive 
which was much better than what was said after the meeting on Monday. So that's a good sign. Second of all, we have to remember this vaccine has not yet been authorised by the EU, yeah. uh, though we are expecting that tomorrow. Mm. I was thinking myself, my inner conspiracy theorist, there's a little of it in us all, in us all is, that, is that pressure from AstraZeneca to get the authorization done and dusted? Um, not really, I don't think. I think, uh, you know, the European Medicines Agency, which is now based in Amsterdam, has had a pretty rigorous process. In many regards, it's a bit more complicated than the FDA in the United States has to do, or the, the medical regulator in the UK, in that in the end, uh, like everything in the EU, it needs to get the 27 member states to sign up. Mm. And that just takes a bit more time. Now, there are questions, uh, and we'll have to see what the EMA say tomorrow, about whether they approve this for everyone or simply for the under-65s. Um, as I say, we, we don't know the answer to that yet. Uh, that's based on the, a lack of trial data, as the EMA would say. Mm. Uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll see that tomorrow. But I think it's just based on the fact that clearly with all the vaccines to date, the EMA, the European Medicines Agency, the one that regulates medicines inside the EU, uh, has taken more time simply because you know, it takes a bit more time to get everyone to sign on the dotted line, all 27 uh, mm. member states. Lastly, Darren, and briefly, do you think in your position there watching this uh, political maelstrom, do, do you think that like all arguments and rows, it will eventually be sorted out in a way that both sides are, are happy and that no side loses face? Do you think it will? Yeah, I think there probably will be a compromise in the end, uh, but it could get quite difficult because the obvious compromise is to kind of reroute some of those vaccines from the UK. We don't know how the British government would react to that. Clearly, that could lead to a post-Brexit row. I mean, the politicians here suggesting that in return, potentially the EU blocks its vaccines that are manufactured in, in Belgium from going uh, to Britain. It could get messy. Uh, but in the end, they could find a compromise. But I think it's a reminder that many EU countries, and this is where the pressure comes from, many voters across Europe are looking at the fact that the UK have vaccinated 10, 11, 12% of their adult population now. In some EU countries, it's only 1 or 2%. And clearly, that pressure from voters is piling on politicians saying, here, what's going on here? Why are they so far ahead? what's happening and you know until that changes I think that pressure will remain. Okay we'll leave it there we might catch up again thank you very much that's Darren McCaffrey he's the political editor of Euronews many layers to this like there's been rows going on about supply of stuff since the very start like Germany at the very start of the pandemic blocked PPE and ventilators from going to Italy and to Czechia and then Russia ship the PPE into Italy to fill the gap. Like, this kind of thing goes on on, on a micro and micro level all the time. You know, other non-EU countries could, could get involved too. It's, 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 it's just awful. It's nasty. But as Darren said, look, give it time. It'll probably get sorted out. 1850-715-996. Super story in the news in the last few days about a chef in West Cork in make, earn, uh, getting his second Michelin star. Turns out there's a backstory to that story. Let's hear it next. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Oh, 
The Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon is back. Our favourite fundraiser returns this May to raise money for Cork Cancer Services. We hope you'll include our Radiothon in your 2021 events calendar. There are many ways to play your part. Organise a virtual coffee break, a no uniform day, or gather all those loose coins with our change collector boxes. Stay listening for more details on how to raise funds. The 2021 Giving for Living Radiothon, May 20th to 22nd. Only on Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 On Cork's 96FM. So there's a restaurant in Baltimore, ah, beautiful Baltimore, and the simple pleasure of being able to drive down to Baltimore on a sunny Sunday and have a pint and a bit of grub looking out to sea on a sunny day. It's one of those things that almost make you believe in the existence of a higher power if you didn't already. Um, Yeah, beautiful Baltimore. One of the restaurants down there is called Dady, and it has one uh, it's Chef Ahmed and owner Ahmed Dedi has won a Michelin star. It is his second Michelin star because he previously had a restaurant in Baltimore called Muse. Uh, Muse is gone now and the restaurant is, is, is Dede. It's a great story in itself, but it's a bit sad because Dede is presently at home in his native Turkey coping with covid in his family, where it's taken a dreadful toll. Dedi joins me from his parents' house, I think, in Kusadasi. Ahmed, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you doing? Good. Thank and lo- you. And congratulations. Uh, and wonderful to see you winning the Michelin star. But, you know, you cried with... Well, we, we, we thought you were crying with joy at the presentation yeah. ceremony. I suppose you were. But yeah. what people didn't know was this has been a very, very hard few months for you. It was, it was, it was very, very tough. For everybody it was tough, but you don't realize how tough it can be when uh, when this virus uh, comes to your family, you know. You're back in Turkey to mind your family right now, aren't you? I am, yeah, I am here with my mom and dad. Uh, they both, obviously, had the virus back in September. And then uh, they, obviously, went through very difficult times. I wasn't here, I wasn't able to come. And uh, obviously, we, when we close the restaurant, uh, I have lots of free time now. I'm here just spending time with them. You know, they need to go get their checkups time to time. So I need to be around here for a while to drive them to hospital, do the shopping and taking care of all that. So that's the reason I'm here to just mind my parents, you know. They're they're in their 60s. How are they? How are they coping with the virus? Are they okay? Good, good. My mom, obviously, when she had the virus, she went through at home by herself and um, my father he was uh, he was the very sick one he he was in the hospital for almost two weeks and he was in ICU almost uh, seven eight days he's very uh, very very badly diabetic anyway himself so he went through very very difficult and uh, but they're okay now obviously the side effects of this virus keeping them tired and effects on the ear or in the eye or something uh, they need to always you know checked and uh, that's the side effects from this virus that's, that's coming, you know. Now, I think you lost both an uncle and an auntie. 
I did, yeah. They're uh, both my uh, mom's older brother and older sister. They both passed away in the same week. And then in the same week, my, that's when my, my father gets sick. And then the following day, when my mother finds out, she had to rise. And they all live in different households. But somehow, they all get it in the same week. Yeah. Is it, like it, is it very, is it very bad in, in Turkey, Amit? I, I know that you know, you probably know how bad it is here at the moment, but, but how bad has it been in Turkey? It's been a bad, but this this last uh, month and a half, it's been calm. Obviously, there's still a lot of infections and still people dying. And uh, the life is a bit, of course, quieter. You cannot go outside after 9 o'clock and uh, Friday, Saturday. And Sundays you have to be at home. You cannot leave the house. Just go go to shop, basically in your in your bubble, and uh, back to life again on Mondays from five in the morning. You are allowed to go out. Uh, so it's very controlled, you know, very very strict. And it's gonna be like this for for at least March, April. Uh, I say it's looking, yeah. you know. Kusadasi is a place that thousands of people go on holidays every year. Don't think that'll be happening. Yeah, not no more. That's for sure. It's the place that, obviously, we are from Ankara, it's the capital of Turkey. That's where my parents were when they get sick. And uh, we have a summer house here. Uh, it's a very quiet area. It's really, really in a little bit of uh, Mother Nature area. It's, it's a bit isolated. So they came here two months ago. And they're going to be here uh, for, 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 for a while anyway, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, we are here a little bit quieter. Population is very, very less here where we are. Mm. And uh, that's safer, you know. Yeah. yeah. How, 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 how long do you think it'll be before you can safely leave your parents knowing that they're well and come back to Cork? So I'm here already four weeks. I will be here another three weeks. And my brother is here. He used to live in Holland, and uh, he just moved uh, here for permanently for after 10 years. And then he will be here for, for permanently now. So he, I, I will leave in uh, probably around 20th of February. I will come to Baltimore, mm. and then I have to do my quarantine and isolation. Mm. So another three weeks here, and then I'll be back to Baltimore. Okay. Because okay. my brother here is going to be here, so I, I, I can be a bit comfortable leaving them, you know. You know, the great story about your Michelin Awards, uh, Yeah, this is your second one. You studied, this I, This blew me away, Ahmed, you only studied yeah. cookery uh, yeah. in 2009, or started in 2009, on, on, yeah. on, on, on YouTube, was it? <laughs> no, I started a little bit. I find out things about YouTube and uh, internet. I studied in Dublin Institute of Technology 2010. Yeah. And uh, that's how my journey started. And uh, from there, I did three years. Uh, that was a part-time course in culinary art uh, program. And then that's when I went to the industry. When I started to decide, when I decided I want to become a professional chef, I was 25. Right. And what age are you now? I'm 34. It's going to be 35 soon. Okay. So in 10 years of being a professional yeah. chef, two Michelin yeah, stars. Yeah, chef. <laughs> Two-time Michelin star accomplishment. <laughs> That's not bad. Not, not bad at all, man. That's not no, bad at all. No, and, no. And, and I know some friends, some fellow chefs, like they give, God bless them, like yeah. 10 years, 15 years in this trade, working really hard at the head chef level. But sometimes it just doesn't happen. But 
It did happen such a blessing uh, reward twice for me in the same village with two different cuisine, two different concepts. That's just amazing, you know. A lot of people say, like, Brilliant. you have the Michelin magnet, Ahmed. You just keep collecting well. it. <laughs> You know what? There, There is so much about Baltimore that is perfect in every single way. And the fact that we can draw with Michelin stars to it is just another bit of its perfection. It is. Look, Baltimore deserves the best of the best. West Coast deserves the best of the best. And my goal is to present, you know, the islands, West Coast and Baltimore and my country, Turkey. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. My biggest goal is just to generate more revenue, more tourism, more interest. More, more, more people to come and visit that small fishing village, and just, uh, just bring more, more happiness to the village. You know, well, it's deserve. It's, it's one of the nicest places in the in the earth. You know. All right. Listen, you look after yourself, and hopefully, look after your folks, and hopefully they'll be grand, and you'll get back here and get that that place open again when you can. And the best luck with it. And who knows when we can go? Uh, I'll head down to Baltimore and I'll be knocking on your door Ahmed Dede Dede is in Baltimore and speaking from Kusadasi in Turkey you won't be going there on your holidays either lads listen to him you won't uh, but good luck to his parents and hopefully they will uh, they will be back to full health soon his dad's name is Hossein he's 64 his mother is Senet I think she's 62 he lost his uncle he lost his auntie poor old devil 1850 the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. There's still a week left to enjoy the colourful Once Upon a Time with the Everyman Panto stars. As they read and perform the most popular and well-loved classic fairy tales and panto favourites. It's available to view anytime until Sunday, January 31st with more information at everymancork.com 
for one of the most revered British bands of the 80s and 90s, Ian Brown of the Stone Roses is set to return to Cork for a rescheduled show at the Opera House on Monday, May 17th. Tickets are available now from the venue's website. Access All Areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show coming up in 2021 or any live streaming events by emailing aaa at 96fm.ie. Access All Areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. This is Court's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show, The Opinion Line, with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now, 0833969696. On Court's 96 FM. Anybody listening and thinking, I'd love to go to Kusadasi, Ahmed has just sent us a pic, um, and it's grey and dull out there, a bit like it is here, although I suspect it's probably a few degrees warmer. They have the Cork weather today. Yeah, but they'll get the Turkish weather. The same with Viv the other day talking to me from Madrid, where it's dull and grey and horrible. But they know, they know in a few weeks it'll start to turn. And the same with Kusadasi. In a few weeks it'll all start to turn. And a few weeks from here it'll turn on a Monday and go back on a Tuesday and not know where it is on a Wednesday. And summer will be on a Friday. Do you know? Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Story in the Echo this morning. Maeve Lee writes that a Cork mother is calling on the government to look at all options to reopen the schools for children with special needs. We discussed this at length in the last few weeks when there was an attempt made to do it, an attempt that fell flat in its arse because the government hadn't consulted the unions on it and hadn't consulted anybody really. They just decided we're going to open the schools uh, for special needs. And so that fell on its backside. Um, now they've said they'll try to do it again at some stage in February. But, Claire, I think you, you're you saying a decision, please, soon. Good morning. Good morning. Um, yes, it, it, a decision needs to be made, you know, um, with all parties involved, um, in tone Forza, you know, and the Minister for Education, Nora, they need to sit down, they need to make a decision because we're just hanging in limbo and we're tired, we're tired of fighting. Talk um, to me about Jack. Jack. So Jack is my firstborn, he's seven. I turned seven in September. And he um, was diagnosed with autism at a very young age, two and a half. And later um, diagnosed with a moderate um, intellectual disability. He's non-verbal, um, he's incontinent, so still wears nappies. And um, was a very happy, placid boy, and that very much changed last April. Mm. Last yeah. April, when all this started. Yeah. So yeah. you're taking us back to the first lockdown, twenty seventh yeah. of March. Yeah. Uh, they announced schools were gone, and sure, it was September before they came back. How long after that did Jack's behaviour start to change? I'd say it was about three to four weeks in with no school. Um, he started, I suppose you could say, Jack obviously is non-verbal, but he can make a lot of sounds. Um, but he started to become more vocal with his sounds in a very kind of an angry way. Mm. Um, became aggressive in his stance to me. Um, and then started, I suppose you could call it self-harming, punching himself in the head um, up to 10 to 15 times a day. I could hear the bone off his knuckle. It was that loud, you know, that bad. 
the more I tried to help him and comfort him, the, the harder he hit himself. Um, it's been horrendous mm. for Jack and for us just to watch him hurt himself so hard. Um, when he did punch me or his dad, we wanted him to do that more because we take the pain for him, you know. Um, and it does come down to frustration and anger and confusion. Mm. We And is he in a position, Claire, to, to understand you when you talk to him and say, Jack, we... we no. No? Unfortunately not. Not yet. Um, you know, he's receptive language, which would be understanding and mm. um, receiving language, as you know, um, but for your listeners, is, is very low. Right. He will... He's just starting to understand simple instructions like right. the term pick up. Because there, uh, there are kids on the spectrum, as you know, uh, Claire, who have, a, they have no words of their own. They don't speak, but they understand everything that you say to them. He's not in that space. No, he's not in that oh, that's space. That's a pity. That's so um, sad. No, not yet. And even visually, you have children that, you know, might be in that space, but visually they can understand Mm. If you present them with, you know, a, a picture of... Does he, yeah, pecs and pictures, he doesn't use those. Yeah, does. but no, he just still doesn't comprehend what's happening. Oh, that's He's hard. not at that's that stage hard. yet. And God. that is why school... But the the two-way so street is blocked, that's like... exactly where oh, he learns those skills, you know. God. Has he hurt yeah. himself? I mean, has he done harm other than, you he, know... He has. He's he's bled, like... Um, he has bled. He has bitten nails off, and I don't mean nail biting. He has pulled a nail off his finger. God, um, his fingers are all infected. He's constantly on antibiotics because he's so anxious and so nervous and angry. He, he's taking it out on himself more so, um, because he doesn't understand why he's one thing that he had outside home that he felt safe and that he had some interaction with peers is taken away from him. Did he go back in September? He did. And 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 did he change then again? It decreased slightly, um, but it was still there, but not as much. Um, How does he deal with things like restrictions and masks and sanitizers and all that? um, No, he he wouldn't wear a mask and nothing over the head. Um, He's very confused about restrictions. We can't leave the house because if we leave the house, there's only two reasons why he's either going to school and he's hedged, you know, his perception is I'm either going to school or I'm going down to a restaurant here in town for, you know, toast, which is his favourite food, um, and he can't do neither. They're the only two reasons he'd leave the house. So we have tried to take him for walks and to leave the house, but he's become even more aggressive in the car with himself and banging his head off the, the window pane. Um, and he has a little brother, Charlie, who is nearly three, that is witnessing all of this. And That's very scary for Charlie. Terribly scary. You know, we're very aware that, you know, he, he's petrified and we reassure him that he's safe, but there's only so much you can do. Um, as a parent, you know, there is really only so much you can do. I don't know what way he's perceiving that or how that is going to affect him down the line. Yeah. You're, yourself and, and, and your husband founded a centre for Jack and his friends. We did. And of course, you've had to close all that down now. We did. But we're actually reopening now on, um, on Monday. Um, it's, it's a call from parents um, crying out for help. And we had to close it down because our volunteers, you know, it, it's all it, none of them are paid. They give us their time freely. Mm-hmm. 
but they have chosen with uh, like school staff. You know, they want to keep themselves safe, and I appreciate that. And, totally and are you, are you allowed to open within the restrictions that we have? Yeah, now? we're a disability service. We can. Gotcha. Okay. But uh, okay. it's going to be parent led because, um, again, you know, our volunteers don't feel really comfortable. Yeah. So we have to respect that as well. That might be something. If, if Norma Foley was listening this morning, or Hall Martin, a former education minister himself, what? and in fairness to Hall, when, when, when people are writing the history of his political career, one of his more successful times was his time in education. What would you yeah. say to him? Um, there's a couple of things I would say to him. Um, firstly, get the house in order. Uh, we are the our children are the most vulnerable in society right now, and we've been left behind. We are the only country with special schools closed and special classes, which is a terrible reflection of us. And um, very much so, I've been made aware that TDs are being told that we are looking for a babysitting service in the school, which I think that needs to be nipped in the bud right now. Um, it's an absolute disgrace. Um, it, how, do you, how do you feel when someone says that to you? You know, I'm angry because firstly, it's suggesting that we have no educational aspirations for our children whatsoever. That we declare it a babysitting or respite service. Any parent with a special child or without are sending their children to school and some of them will say it's a great break for us. Of course it is. Mm. And, and nobody would deny that that parents get a break from I think a lot of people, and to be fair, Claire, a lot of people working from home at the moment, yeah. and particularly if, if both partners are working from home um, and you have three or four kids around the floor, it, it, it makes it makes life very, very hard. Oh, it does. Uh, you know, it's, it absolutely does. And I'm sure that if the position was there that they could send their kids back to school unless it's advice that it was safer, yeah. then yes, I'm sure they would. And that's exactly what Nessa had said. They have said we're two percent of the population. It's the one million, you know, that are moving around with the entire school opening that would cause a further transmission of the virus. Mm. And that is why we're not putting our children in harm our children. We're not putting them in danger, you know, just for a break. We're putting we want them to be in the environment that they're happy and that they feel safe. Their education may not be maths and learning numbers or you know, writing a paragraph or whatever, their education for the majority is learning self-help skills, learning how to dress themselves in school, learning how to brush their teeth, you know, social skills, that's their education. Education is defined in so many different ways. And I think it's important that people understand where we're coming from, but we're listened to and we're respected in the community and that our children are given their constitutional right to education. Mm. which does not look the same for every single child. Well, the last piece in, in the Echo story, I think, sums it up. You know, most children of seven, they're going to school to learn to read, yeah. to learn to write, to learn to yeah. do their arithmetic, the three R's as they used to call it, and whatever else besides. You want Jack to learn to dress himself, to learn Absolutely. to use the toilet on his own. Absolutely. And to learn That's to prepare a snack him. for himself. Absolutely. All I want for Jack is to live an independent life. He'll always need support, and I know that, and I'm very aware of that. But I just want him to have a little bit of, you know, 
independence, that he might be able to use the toilet independently. I don't want to see Jack or have to change Jack's nappy at 18 or 19 years of age. And that's the road we're going down. We had just started introducing him to the toilet and he does get very upset by the idea of sitting on the toilet and it's all a sensory thing. But he has stopped now and refused right to go in there at all. So these are all skills that school who are SNAs and teachers are they're professionals. Brilliant they're, they're trained. Absolutely brilliant. They're fantastic and you know, this there's a war going on between Commons war going on between SNAs, teachers and parents and it's awful. It is the lowest of the low because the we all have the utmost respect for the people that teach our children and help them to live independent lives. Mm. Without them we'd have nothing because we don't have anything else. When you we know, discussed so, this last month uh, and the failed deadline of getting back, there was a lot of teacher bashing and a lot of SNA bashing and a lot yeah. of nonsense like put them on a COVID payment. Awful, yeah. Awful. And Jack's teacher and his SNAs have been fantastic. You know, they have been sending resources home and picture stuff so you can match pictures. That's the kind of stage he's at now. He match, you know, the colour to the colour. Um, which is fantastic, but he just refuses to sit and attend mm. because... And there's no point putting him in front of a screen, is there? Not at all. You know, he wouldn't even video call with a friend. Now, if I put on, you know, my my dad, for example, in video call, he'd call Jack, he wouldn't come to the phone or he wouldn't look. He just, he'd just hang up on him, you know, and go to YouTube. You know, that's what the phone does or the iPad, it's YouTube. Mm. It's not for looking at people, so... He doesn't sit or attend. And of course, of them don't. poor little Charlie is suffering through this as well. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. It is absolutely heartbreaking to watch him. Like he's he's two and a half now, and he's he's an old man. You know, Jack comes in and Jack was walking with mucky boots on and sliding on the floor. He'd have no concept of wiping his shoes or anything like that, and he wouldn't understand the language, you know. And Charlie then is there, you know, Jack's shoes off and coming over, taking off his shoes and. He's three, like, you know, it's it's heartbreaking to watch. So if he can understand, the, you know, that much, what else is he understanding, you know? Yeah. Seeing Jack hit himself and bite himself, and it's just, it's horrendous. It's and you horrendous. have to mind him too. And... Oh, very much so. Very much so. I talk to him all the time about it's okay to be afraid and it's okay to be sad and, you know, you're always safe with mom and dad. And I explained to him that Jack is angry and confused, but he'll never hurt you. And, you know, I'm, I'm very aware that he, his emotional um, process, you know, needs to be spoken. But um, we're lost in it all, DJ. Like, we're very much lost in it all. We're just... Well, 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 my, my, as, as, as someone who's been through it to an extent, um, yeah. my, my thoughts are with you. Uh, from one, and from yeah. one parent to another, the mind that yeah. idiot on the radio, Claire... From yeah. from one parent to another, I'm with you. Thanks, BJ. Take care. It means a lot of support. All the best. See you. Cox 96 FM. Apparently, I'm being accused of being biased over um, Michal Martin and that I would not take a counter-opinion on the air. Set it up. Set it up. Happy to do that. 1850-715-996. Good story in the papers this morning about a medical student um, from UCC who thought she was going down one road but is actually going down another one entirely after volunteering in the uh, front line during the pandemic.
uh, Amy Brennan. Good morning to you, Amy. Good morning, DJ. How are you today? Good. Now, congratulations. You have been awarded what's called a Quercus Scholarship, and I'll ask you about that in a little while. But I'm right in saying you are a final year med student at UCC, but emergency medicine wasn't where you saw your future. Well, I suppose I'm the type of person that I kind of get excited about everything I go into. So I could have been a GP and I'd come out a GP saying that that's what I wanted. Um, emergency medicine was kind of always the one on the back burner. I would have been in the Red Cross um, from the age of nine. Um, so it was kind of always there, but I think I needed a little bit of confirmation. Um, and definitely after my six months stint inside in the emergency department, there's no question in my mind that there'll be nowhere I'll be going but back to the emergency department after graduation. You, you were, were you thinking about psychiatry or something at one point as well? Um, I have a huge interest in psychiatry. Um, I was hugely lucky to be to awarded the gold medal in psychiatry earlier this year. Um, so it was definitely up there on the list, but I wasn't 100% sure between the two. Right. So how did you come to volunteer on the front line? Um, so Professor Connor DC in the emergency department was very kind to take me on for a research project in my third year. Um, and through that, I kind of got a little bit more involved um, in the emergency society in UCC. Um, so then last March, when the word of COVID started spreading and it started getting closer and closer to home, um, obviously it was a terrifying time for everyone. Um, but I said I'd just let Prof DC know that I was available if he needed anything. Um, initially, it was supposed to be a kind of two or three day job, just helping to get organised, but I'm very difficult to get rid of. So I ended up being there for six months. What kind of things did you see? Well, I suppose there's, you know, everything that we see on the news with COVID of sick patients coming in who are previously well. But I suppose the important thing to highlight in the emergency department is that it was open for business 24-7 for everything. Um, So you kind of see your COVID, but you also see your traumas, your sick people, your other infections. And so it really was um, a look into kind of the holistic, all of the after effects of COVID. and normal life as well as the normal accidents and illnesses that you get in. Mm. Do you ever feel in danger yourself from You know, it's, I suppose it was such an unknown entity um, last March, April, but I can't commend the management and the consultants inside and the CUH enough. Um, they really did support us every morning. There was information on what they knew, what had changed in the hospital. Um, and I think even though everyone was terrified about kind of this new virus that we didn't really know enough about and we couldn't have been supported better inside there. Mm. One of the jobs you had I think was preparation of equipment and and specialised trolleys and and all of that. Yeah. 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 What kind of stuff were you putting together? So the idea was the emergency department was split into two sections. So you had one section where all the COVID patients would be kept and one with the non-COVIDs. So we had a specific area in the COVID section where you had bags that had everything you needed to stabilise a sick COVID patient that was coming in. So obviously once you go into a COVID room, you can't be coming out to get your equipment. So these kind of lean packed, neat bags had everything that you needed to kind of take off that pressure, do a little bit of cognitive unloading and you could just you know, give the patient the support they needed as soon as possible. This was like the bags we see a paramedic grab, for example, going to their ambulance. Was this specially put quite, together for them? Yeah, quite similar to that. And it was designed all to be COVID specific. Um, and then there was an extra trolleys all kept in the same area that had extra 
So if a patient needed to be intubated, we had a bag for that. Um, if they needed bloods and cannulas, so IV lines put in, we had a special bag for that. Um, so it really was kind of just trying to minimise waste, um, but also make sure that if you get stuck in that room, you have everything that you need and you won't be kind of halfway through something and realise that you're missing. Um, so it was... Big, I, big responsibility there, Amy, for a young person, putting all that stuff together so that, like you said, the doctor who runs into that room with a sick person doesn't have to come out again because it involves the whole doffing and donning of PPE and all that kind of thing. you got to go in there, stay there. Big responsibility getting that bag right. It was, but you know what? It was, you know, as I said, I had fantastic support. Mm. Um, there, it was a team effort to both design what was going to be in the bags and the staff then in the HSSD, so the sterility department in uh, CUH were fantastic, making sure that everything was packaged nicely. Um, the healthcare assistants and the nurses all helped me put it together. So it wasn't, I, I wasn't a, an island. I had huge support inside there. Good. Now, what does the Quercus Scholarship uh, allow you to do? It's, there's only 39 people a year or something awarded this. It's a huge honour. Yeah, well, I'm, I was completely shocked, but delighted to hear that I had been awarded it. Um, so I think there's 38 students um, from the College of Medicine and Health. Um, so that would be medicine, dentistry, pharmacy and the clinical therapies. Um, it's basically an acknowledgement of the academic achievement um, within the school. But it really is, it's just such an honour to, you know, it's a fantastic group to be put in with. Um, and there's students from all over the world, so Canadian students and Singaporean students who are studying in UCC who have gotten it. So what um, will you be using it to do now? Um, so it's, I suppose, kind of a, a ticket to say this. I've kind of worked hard, and so it'll be fantastic for any interviews going forward. Um, we also get extra benefits of there's a Quirkus lecture series and networking events. So it'll really kind of just strengthen my career from here on out. It really, I can't stress how much of an honour it is to be awarded with it. Well, you earned it because it's done for academic prowess and other such things. So congratulations and well done. And, and and good luck to you. When when do you when do you hope to graduate? So it's looking like the graduation will be the end of May, um, and we'll have a lovely six weeks off before we start into our intern year. And um, are you going to do the intern in in the ED, or are you, do you have to do a general one? Um, we do. So there's kind of general ones, but I'm hoping to get so this four three month stints. So I'm hoping to end up in ED for at least three months of it, right. if I'm lucky. All right. Well, good luck. You know, Amy, in a pre- in a previous life, I would have given anything to get into the line you're going into myself so so I wish you all the success in the world thank you so much thank you for having me on The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM 1857-15996 the number to call the text to WhatsApp is 083-396-9696 email opinion at 96fm.ie Twitter at OpinionLine96 Don't forget our hashtag is OL96 Contact us also through Facebook but mark your message for the attention of the Opinion Line If you missed anything from the first two hours today you can catch it on our podcast We release it sometime in early to mid-afternoon Goes up first on Twitter We publish the link on a, on tw- on a tweet and then it goes eventually to all your platforms Very quickly goes to all your chosen platforms including the Quartz 96 FM app. So all you need to do is whatever platform that you want to use it for, just search for the Quartz 96 FM opinion line and subscribe to it and your podcast will arrive on time 
every time. 185 Reminded to you, speaking of the app, it's where you can join Trevor Welsh on 96M.ie this Saturday for the Premier League Live exclusively online and powered by Talk Sport. This Saturday, Trevor has a very busy lineup. Everton against Newcastle at 12.30. Manchester City versus Sheffield United at 3. Arsenal against Manchester United at half past 5. And Southampton against Aston Villa. Full commentary at 8 o'clock. The Premier League live online with Now TV. Stream live Premier League action with a Now TV Sky Sports or Sports Extra pass and listen to the live commentary on the Cork's 96FM app every Saturday or indeed at 96FM.ie Call us as I was stopped at a checkpoint. The guard asked me to look at my, or asked to look at my driving licence. He was wearing no gloves and I have a chest condition and I'd be classed as vulnerable by my doctor. I said this to him and he put on gloves that had been used previously. I saw another checkpoint and the guard put on fresh gloves between each time he looked at the documents. I don't think that's right at all. You wouldn't know where people keep their licence and his hands would have handled all of them. Uh, On teachers, while government ministers are using the convention centre for their own safety, they expect teachers and all other staff to go back to cramped conditions in schools. Why don't they go back to the doll if for no other reason to save the taxpayer Forking out the centre. Yeah, 25 grand, I think, a day or a week it's costing. Judy is in Iscara. Can they just give the vaccine to the special needs assistants and teachers and let those poor people take their children to school? I worked for many years in Cape, in Cope, known then as the Cork Polio and General Aftercare. I can fully understand what these people are going through. I'm sorry I can't come on the air. Uh, there's many, many people still contacting us with regard to Bob, um, Tommy Gould and my mention, or some people's mention, of Bobby Story and other funerals. And there was another funeral, I think, at the weekend with a fair old crowd at it. Uh, another nationalist funeral. The name of the person being laid to rest escapes me entirely, but there was another one at the weekend. On Niall Conroy, and again, you'll catch my interview with Niall Conroy on the podcast if you want to listen back. That fantastic, articulate genius of a doctor is exactly who we need to advise us. We need to horsewhip the Muppets that are coming and going willy-nilly. I agree with everything said in the programme this morning. With my job, essential work in the livestock sector, I travelled from Cork to Tipperary, Waterford and Kerry yesterday. I saw no checkpoint except for the Commons Road and the Ballincollig Bypass, 1850-715-996. Now, yesterday, to me- you remember um, that Michal Martin told his parliamentary party meeting that over half the people, or pretty much half of the people who had been coming into Ireland in the last couple of days on flights were coming in from holidays, um, sunshine holidays, and he's telling people they can't go on sunshine holidays. Don't even think about booking them for now. And for goodness sake, even if you do have a place over there, don't be going. And if you come back, you're going to need to quarantine. And if you go, you're actually in breach of your five kilometres. Well, certainly if you're going two and a half thousand kilometres, you're definitely in breach of your five kilometres. And if you come home, you're going to need to isolate. You're going to need to uh, quarantine. And we may even start fining people for going away on foreign holidays. That's that's where we are right now. In the same breath, 
the Taoiseach is still not ruling out, according to the newspapers today, still not ruling out this trip to the White House uh, for to meet Joe Biden on St. Patrick's Day. And I've been saying for a few days now that if he wants to hold the dressing room and wants to keep the Irish people on side or not drive them more offside than they already are, he needs to stay at home and do his Joe Biden meeting on Skype. You disagree, John? Good morning. The top of the moment, yes, sir. Seeing that we're going to be talking about Paddy's Day. I disagree because of the simple reason. Um, I think this is essential that we keep the store open, PJ, right? We're the only country in the world that has complete access to the White House on that particular day. And as you know, it's not just on the day. There's an entourage, you know, there'd be less of an entourage, obviously, this time, but people from the IDA go over. You mix with other people over, the other diplomats and the business people, and you make connections. And we're going to come out of this thing. Nobody knows what's going to happen, PJ. We're going to be seriously battered when you come out of this COVID, right? We need investment from right around the world, especially from the States, right? We're going to need a lot of help. At the moment, we've got a man in the White House, right? Now, in case people are caught, think I'm after losing the run of myself, that I'm back in, I'm a spokesperson for Fianna Fáil, and especially Michal Martin, uh, I'm not. Because Michal Martin knows first himself, I have no time for the man. We've had to stand up, bro, me yeah, and him. Yeah, 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 yeah. But parking that, no, right? I don't care who's in the uh, office of teacher care. I don't care who's in the White House. You keep that connection open all the time. And for future, I mean, uh, investment, whatever. As I said, we'll begin repeating, we're unique. We, we are. We are. There is no country like us that has the opportunity to meet the U.S. president in or around or even on yeah. St. Patrick's Day. That's absolutely true. But John, this, that this meeting point. could easily be done on Skype. Yeah, easily. just getting to that there now. Now you've been involved in Zoom meetings. I've been involved in Zoom meetings, right? And you know, Fiji, there. When a person is at a distance like that in a Zoom meeting, right? It's not the same. And you're an intelligent broadcaster. You're definitely going to agree what I'm going to say next, right? It's not the same, PJ, as having the people. If you're hammering out some kind of a deal or something, even with your yourselves above in the station, whatever, uh, having the man sitting across the table from you physically, mm. right? Our woman, right? It's totally different. Absolutely, but, but, but for example, the board, the, the, the board of directors of of this radio station meet quite frequently and they meet virtually from their own home offices and it works it's not it's not the same no, but it's it not works the same. and and Mike Michal isn't going over there to hug Joe Biden I know that was the very fact you see this guy right he seems to be very proud of his artist connection going yeah. back to his great great grandfather right and we missed that for all it's worked right and he's going to remember that the Irish prime minister came over to see him and made an effort it's the same, I'll give an example. Every time I go to a funeral, I always make sure I'm seen. Not for any egotistical reasons, TJ, but the fact that the family will appreciate that, oh, John O'Donovan turned up in fairness, he sympathised with us, right? Again, not for egotistical reasons for me, but the family will remember that I had the respect to actually turn but, but, but up. But John, flip that on its head right now, and the family will know that you can't go, and they won't hold it against you. Well, the, well, the thing is, the fa- well, if you we can't get into the funeral thing, though, because I don't, I disagree with funerals. I think it's safe distancing. There should be loads well, of people talking up. But leaving that aside, I think we need a connection uh, in the way. But you, you also need- mentioned you also mentioned the IDA and the investment and enterprise and all of that. There is mm-hmm. no meeting. There is no meeting from those business, the business side of that trip, that couldn't be done 
on on a, on an inter, on a connection. Well, on, well, on, but let, let me put another another scenario to you. So Michal Martin says, "I'm not going to Washington D.C., uh, but I will go to a boardroom at the American Embassy, and we will sit there and we will have our meeting on Skype, and I will invite the media to put a camera in there, so and do it." Can you imagine the public relations kudos to be won from it, where a leader leads and says, I'm sorry, I'm not going over there. Mr. President, forgive us for not coming because we, we, are, we are currently in, in an emergency situation. And Joe Biden has, this, has said he's going to sort out the, US, the, the pandemic in America. The, 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 the public relations war is there to be won on this one. Well, it, it, that's up to me, Han Martin, if he decides to go or not, like, I mean, or if he decides, as you said, to do it by, by, by Zoom or whatever, right? But if he does decide to go, or whoever is in that office, even if Ria Varadkar was, was back in the, which he will be in two years' time, I still maintain that, look, uh, we keep that connection, and there's nothing like the actual physical connection. Because obviously he can, he can test before he goes, he'll test when he comes back, he'll be isolated for a while. But I think to keep that door diplomatically open, we need that more than ever this time. Okay. We'll see what people think. John, thank you very much. 1850-715-996. There's nothing, as far as I'm concerned, that can't be done on Zoom or Skype. Or they have other platforms. They have other diplomatic, secure platforms. Now, at this stage, I think they have one called WebZoom or something. That it's It's a... highly secure one that they use for meetings like of the European... The European Commission is meeting online. Why can't they have the Patrick's Day meeting online? Kevin says the visit's about symbolism. The reason the door is open is so that American presidents can garner Irish-American votes. Don't kid yourself that it's for our benefit. Maybe, maybe Kev, you're, you're not wrong, but there's also, there is a tradition there and it's something we're proud of. But for this one year... It needs to not happen. John's talking a load of bull, says Sheila. We've had people who couldn't say goodbye to their relatives at funerals this year. It isn't a normal year. You need to do this meeting on Skype. Mary says, I'm in Holland. Hi, Mary. Playing by the rules as best I can. I haven't seen my elderly father, brother and sister and friends in 12 months. Isn't it grand for Michal Martin if he goes to the US? It'd be a bloody disgrace. It's absolutely not necessary. Uh, responding to John, that man has great points. We'll be in the dumps soon over our debt levels unless we maintain our relationship across the board with people who make decisions about our future. He needs the personal contact to get his story across and I thought you interrupted him too much given the amount of time you gave to the other point of view. I, myself and John had one of our most civil conversations ever, I would have thought. Do we even have an Irish Force One government plane for a teacher to travel to Washington? Says Jer. Michal Martin is only thinking of his ego wanting to go over, says another message. Terry, have we time to do a quick poll? I think we might. Let's do a little poll. Uh, it's very simple. Yes or no on text or WhatsApp. It's 20 past 11 coming up for it. So if you think Michal Martin should go to, you, uh, to the United States, Michal, yes. If you think he shouldn't, Michal, no. And by shouldn't, I don't mean shouldn't go at all. I mean do it on Skype. Let's say do it on Skype. Do it, have the meeting, but have it on Skype. There is no, you know. So, Michal, yes, if you think you should go ahead with it as planned. 
I mean, all know if you think you should stay here and do it on Skype. 218 to uh, 083 396 96 96. Anne Buckley, the Queen of Ireland. How are you? I agree with PJ entirely. The world would think more of Michal if he showed Ireland was proficient at modern technology and pulled it off using Skype. As PJ said, the Europeans are doing serious business with it. 1850 Just before I go to a break, Susan says she was amazed there was no mention of Cara O'Sullivan on the 9 o'clock news last night. Maybe this is because she was from Cork and it's less important. I was saddened. I'd be interested if someone of her stature died in Dublin. Uh, no, Susan, to be very fair now, to be very fair, um, her death was only announced publicly sort of 7 o'clock, half 7 on Tuesday evening and by 9 o'clock the RTE 9 o'clock news had put together quite a nice little tribute to her. Um, so, so they did mention her on Tuesday night after her death was announced and it was covered nationally yesterday morning as well. So they did. They did. They may not have done it last night, but they certainly had done it the night before. By the way, that book of condolences is online. You can find it on the uh, City Council website. And when, I'm assuming that Cara's funeral service, when it comes up, will be online. And we will tell you where you can find it online and probably even share the link because it's going to be, it would easily have been the biggest funeral in Cork for many a long day. We'd have had to have two churches and probably run them in shifts for the number of people who'd want to go and pay their respects to, to Cara. So as soon as we know about her funeral arrangements and assuming that the service will be online, we'll let you know where you can watch it. 1850 So the poll is on Twitter now. Should Michal Martin be going to Washington, D.C. or should be staying at home and doing the meeting on Skype? Yes, if you think he should go. No, if you think he should stay at home and do it on Skype. And also 083-396-9696. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. And question number 10. What is the most westerly capital city in continental Europe? Reykjavik. Now, continental Europe means that big chunk of land, doesn't it? The continent Don't is, do that. is the landmass. It, sh- it should have been what? Possibly Lisbon, maybe. For 2,000 euro oh. in cash, what is the most westerly capital city in continental Europe? You said Reykjavik. You should have said Lisbon! Oh. <laughs> Casey and Ross in the morning with Noel DC Cars Blackpool, celebrating the arrival of the new Skoda Octavia. Book your test drive now at noeldc.com. Exclusively Skoda in Cork City. Cork's 96 FM. Yeah, there's, uh, that poll is up and running now on Twitter and on our text and WhatsApp platforms at 083 396 96 96. So if you think that Michal Martin should go ahead with the annual trip to Washington, D.C. for St. Patrick's Day to meet President Joe Biden, you vote Michal yes, or just vote yes on the Twitter. And if you think he shouldn't, and by shouldn't we mean no, don't go, but do the meeting on Skype, do the meeting on some web-based platform that they have Stay at home, do the meeting on Skype. 
rather than go to the White House, then it's Michal No. 083 396 96 96. That's 083 396 Now, the Labour, we talked earlier on about special needs education and Claire's story about her, her little boy Jack, who's really, really, really struggling um, and, and has started harming himself and banging his head off the wall and biting his nails till they come out because of the stress and anxiety of not being able to go to school. Poor little lad. There's also the leaving certs to be contended with because they too are in limbo. All we're being told is that a decision will be made on what to do about the leaving cert. We don't know when. We don't know what it will be. We don't know what they're considering, even though they tell us that um, they'll do everything possible to make sure a proper leaving cert goes ahead. Yesterday or the day before, was the day before it was, we had a fabulous interview with a young lad called Evan who's in Leaving Cert at the moment. He goes to Cloge de Cullum in Ballincollig and he spoke to uh, Fiona Corcoran about the stress of trying to deal with school and not being on and the exams, will they, won't they, what's going to happen. All that is a very stressful time for students right now. Uh, and many of them worried. And they're worried about what to do and they're worried about where they're going to go and where they're going to end up and what's going to happen with their exam. Don O'Leary is at the Cork Life Centre. Hey, Don, good morning. Hi, good morning, Vijay. Uh, how are you dealing with it up there? How many leaving certs do you have this year? Uh, 13. Um, we, have, we have them all in line at the moment. But look, I, I suppose, Vijay, the, the problem is they're online for what? Um, you know, we're, we're 12 months on now and we had a shambles in the summer where, where, where kids didn't know whether it was going to be leaving cert, there is going to be, there's not going to be. And we're going to doing the exact same thing this year. And in actual fact, the, the last year's fifth years, who will be this year's leaving cert class, are probably in a worse position than last year. Because they, they didn't miss the time last year, which means the course, they, they're not going to catch up after four months in the course. And we're now into a situation where, out or, or, or nine months, because that's how long you're in school a year, out of 18 months, these kids will have been seven uh, because of what where we are now. And I, I, I think the anxiety and fear, we're living in a pandemic, so, the, so do, you know, we, we need to be very careful here because the kids are hearing all the, 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 the uncertainty around COVID, um, where we're getting one message one day, the next message the next day, and then they have to worry about, okay, where, where am I going to? What's going on? What's happening? And I know you said the leaving certs there, but I think the junior certs have been completely forgotten about. Yeah. And again, for lots of kids, for lots of kids, not all, the junior cert is their state exam. And we're known in a situation, I, I guarantee this, because there's no mention of it, there'll be no junior cert this year. Um, and that, that puts kids on, on, you know, someone looking to go to a trade, you know, where's their official, where's their official junior cert? They won't have it. Um, and it's grand saying that uh, someone like ourselves, our schools, can f- write off of these and say they're finished. But no one knows. I mean, the junior certs aren't even being mentioned. And then when we come to the leaving certs... How many junior certs have, have you this year done? Uh, Twelve. Twelve. Um, and again, they're walking away. Well, what are they walking away for? Um, and, and I think, you know, it's not just it's not the students. It's parents. It's staff teaching the, the kids. What do we prepare them for? Mm. You know, England, Scotland, Wales, and, and the North all made decisions early on the year they for did. what they were going to do. They did, they did, yeah. But I, I, I fail to see how, if, if there's a plan B and, and a plan C, why haven't we been told about it? 
because we haven't. And we're, we're as I say, we're, we're, we're a year along now. Um, we're making the same mistakes. Um, and that's very unfair on children. You know, I, I'm going to cross the board unfair on children because if you think of what's happening with the pandemic, and it has to happen, public health comes first, mm. right? For me, well-being of the children comes before any examination. That's what we want for the kids. However, they want to be able to see the progression route. They can't see the progression route because they don't know what they're being asked to do. And, you know, it, that, that's the same for lots of kids. Because if you think about it, you know, even primary school kids and even kids in creches, they, they, get, they get a moving on. Milestones for these kids have been missed and they're going to be missed again. It adds anxiety upon anxiety on, 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 on young people who are already worried about, you know, am I going to die? Is my mum going to die? Um, what happens if, you know, kids are in, in isolation because someone got in the family? And are they talking to yourself and Rachel and the team about things like that, Don? I mean, yes. I mean, in, 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 cer- in certain cases, yes. They're kind of, and I suppose they, they, they're putting trust in us to make sure it works out all right at the end of the day. And, and this is true for lots of schools. You know, the schools will sort it. You can't. And, and, you know, if we could have a look at what plan A, what plan B, and what is plan C, and, and discuss it then. Because there's one thing certain, there has been no consultation with, with the likes of myself or, or with others. And, and don't tell me there has. Because if there was, we'd have what the plans are. And they're not there. And I think for, 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 for children, you know, I, I, I fear, that my big fear on this, and I said it last year, so it's even more stone, is that when we come out of this pandemic, whenever we come out of it, we are going to be hit with a tsunami of mental health issues. And, mm. um, you know, kid, kids, kids need friends. They need their peers. They need other adults in their lives. They need to be able to get outside their house to play. You know, that's, that's, and that's for all kids uh, and teenagers. And when they're not, that's anxiety. Where are you going to? You're going to a bedroom. I mean, we, we have lots of kids above us, you know, over the years, and you've talked to many of them who have social anxiety. Um, some of the kids that came to us with social anxiety have spent two years in their bedroom before getting to us. Now, our job has been to get them out of the bedroom, get them to re-engage. What may have to do now? That's to them back to their bedrooms. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, I, I think one of the things, and this is quite a simple thing, we need our leaders to be open, honest, and transparent. We need them to be talking from the same page. Mm. Now, now, I, I suppose, you. Don, you're, what you're saying is, you know, make a plan, announce it, and, and stick with it, and have an A and a B and a C. I suppose you have to say, well, it's very hard to plan for anything in the course of a pandemic. Like, we can't plan what's happening next week in our own yes. lives. Oh, I, 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 I agree with all that. That's, that's, that's perfect. But the pandemic hasn't just hit last week. We had, uh, we had to go to predictive grades last year in, 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 in Living Set. And we'll be told, well, we were told earlier that all of us had predictive grades are going to an exam. For people looking at that, I don't think that's going to happen. I, I mean, they're going to have to change all the papers. You can't ask a kid that has missed seven months of a two of, of an eighteen month course to know all the course. So, so what? Where, where are we going? And, and you know, we, the pandemic hit us. And if you look at it, right when the pandem- pandemic hit last March, and we went into lockdown, 
nearly everyone was conforming to rules. We were all in this together. We're not all in this together now because people are totally fed up. And they're totally fed up because they don't know what's happening in their lives. Yeah. You know, we're only, we're in February now, you might as well say. We have two months to the beginning. We, we have until May for the beginning of the exams. The mocks are supposed to start in the fortnight's time in some places. Oh, yeah. But, 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 and here's a problem, right? One of the, the leading companies that do the mocks, because we always send, the, send them out, because I think it's... I, I want the kids to get a, an idea of what outsiders think about their figures, what their, their thing. Uh, you know me in exams. I think we've made too much of them, but children want this. But one of the leading companies in January... Uh, in January, December, turned around and said, "We're not running mocks this year. We're, we're not sending them out. We're not. We're not. We're not doing it this year." So that is going to cause problems for even for people to get mocks. How do you get the mocks? How do you get the mocks to, to kids? We could deliver them to We're doing that anyway. But I, I can't see how this is going to. I can't see how this is going to happen because what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to look at the course, <clears throat> and you're going to have to say, "Oh, the missed seven months. So this is what we're going to do." I haven't seen the plan for that. Yeah, I don't think. We'll and kids haven't seen the plan for that. So what? So what do kids who who, who say I'm going to study? That's what they study. What ones do they leave out? What ones do they need to be covering? It, it, it is totally unfair. And and you know, there's no like I'm listening. Like as an adult, I'm listening to someone saying we're in level five, right? Leadership. And I'm listening to, to, to another leader in the government saying, how will we go to level four? Mm. <laughs> like, it, it, you have to speak from the same page. You know, this is the government. Yeah. They're the ones leading yeah. us. Yeah. And people, if, if, if you say something and you stick to it and you tell people, look, we need, we need to get rid of this COVID and the only way of getting rid of it is to get to zero. That, I mean, zero or zero both. What is the plan to get there? Why are we changing the plans all the time? And, you know, we're talking, they're talking about track and trace. <laughs> My belief, track and trace wasn't working prior to them removing the track and trace, prior to them stopping that. How then I'm going to upgear all of that again? We don't know for certain how many people have COVID in the country. Yeah, there's that. We were talking about Nala Conroy earlier. So, basically, Don, just to wrap, Don, to wrap up, we need a plan. We need to denounce whatever it is, announce it and stick by it and do something rather than having thousands of youngsters and their families wondering what is happening. Yes, and, and I, I think hugely important, right? We should be giving the, the children a voice in this. I listened to Evan the other morning. Yeah. He knows. He knows what he wants. He 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 could tell you plan A, plan B, and plan C, and what they are. Maybe not to the fine tuning of it. Why can't our our, our departments do that? You know, they, they were working through all of this. It isn't as if they, if they weren't. But the same mistakes we made. You have to involve everyone in this. Okay. And we might you might disagree with what, what what the department is saying, but at least you have to involve them and give them the space to hear that. Not at the end when you're announcing this is what we're going to do. Because okay. that's, that's a, a problem for everyone. Nothing, it's the old saying, Don, nothing about us without us. Listen, thanks very much. Don O'Leary at the Cork Life Centre, uh, as always. Thanks, Don. 1850-715-996. Paddy says you don't have a plan A, B or C. You make one plan, and within that plan, you add in actions to be taken on various things happening. Yeah, I get that, Paddy, but A, B and C is a probably easier way to, to explain it, but that's a good point. 
or let it, we'll let our poll continue. It's 25 to 12. We'll let our poll continue until maybe 5 to 12 and we'll do it before the end of the show across all the platforms. We'll do the math. Whether you think Michal Martin should go to Washington, D.C. to meet Joe Biden for St. Patrick's Day or that's Michal yes or Michal no. If you think no, he needs to stay home, do it properly and do it on Skype. Sleds on the proc speculating. And there's a massive vote against Michal Martin going to Washington and supporting the idea of him doing it on Skype. Um, but the lads on the proc rather cheekily suggesting if it were Donald Trump still in the White House, would we be even having this conversation? You wonder, would, the, would there be so many people opposed to him going anyway? They wouldn't want him going anyway if Donald Trump was still in the White House. You're not wrong, lads. We're looking at the numbers there. Can I just mention, uh, yesterday we were all about the story of uh, Cara O'Sullivan, and rightly so, and some lovely stories and some lovely tributes and some lovely words from people about about Cara. In the midst of it all, I got word of uh, another passing uh, of a man that I, I knew... I won't say I knew him well. I was in college with his son many, many years ago and he was involved in politics for as long as I'm covering politics. And that was a man called Pat Fenton. And Pat was heavily involved for many years with Brian Crowley, uh, the former MEP, and he was an advisor and he was a, a confidant politically to many, many people. But he was also an incredibly funny, jovial man uh, in whose company it was always fun to spend time, which I had the chance to do only a couple of times a year. But uh, Pat passed away uh, in the last couple of days uh, in the Mercy Hospital. Um, and uh, I think his his wife is struggling as well. They both had COVID-19. Um, but Aryeshte, uh, Gureva Adam, I was very fond of Pat. He was great crack, great fun. And good time to good fun to spend time with. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. So far, uh, Twitter is seventy five twenty five against Michal Martin going to Washington D.C. The text to WhatsApp even more so against him going to Washington D.C. We keep it going for another few minutes, and we'll collate all the platforms before we finish. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. The opinion line on Corks ninety six FM with Lehan Motors leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your two one one Toyota. See LehanMotors.ie. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. If you're at work, working from home or on the road, i got the best music mix for you and I'll throw in some of those throwback Thursday anthems too. See you from 12 on Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. You know the way that we get warnings from Met Aaron if it's going to be dodgy weather, yellow, orange and red warnings. And you know the way we get flood warnings from the council if the water is going to come up of an evening or a morning time. We could soon be getting air quality warnings of the same type given to us that, you know, Cork City is particularly polluted today and be careful and careful what you're breathing in and all of that. Because poor air quality, I'm reading from a a piece in the Examiner, poor air quality contributes to more than 1,200 premature deaths in Ireland every year. And 
according to the Environmental Protection Agency, air quality in Cork generally quite good, but not all the time. And the Centre for Research into Atmospheric Chemistry at UCC, uh, the crack lab, <laughs> as we always call it, is where Professor John Wenger hangs out. John, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Um, the idea that we would get maybe a ping on our phone or a mention in the news that air quality in the city or in some suburb or other is dodgy today, how close are we to be able to do that? We're nearly there, to be honest. Um, look, we know that air pollution in Cork City is an ongoing issue, especially during the winter months. And uh, we've been working recently with colleagues in the Cork City Council. So a shout out to Kevin Ryan in the Environment Department there. And uh, we've developed a low-cost monitoring network, which enables greater coverage of monitoring in the city. So this is generating information. What we're trying to do is now use this information. We can send this to the public. Um, how, what's, what's the best way to do that? Is that through uh, a, a tweet or an app, or through, through the radio, through social media? Um, and the idea now is that um, this could really help people to decide if they know about the air quality. This could actually influence their decisions. You know, for example, if somebody is uh, asthmatic or vulnerable, do they really, really want to go out on a walk in a winter's evening where it's going to be polluted? You know, if we have that forecasting ability available for the public, then they can make better choices about their activities on a mm. day-to-day basis. Because Metheron, for example, you mentioned Twitter, Metheron tweet a hundred times a day, but an awful lot of theirs is on, air, is on, say, rain forecast, wind forecast, snow forecast. And we get the same with regard to floods. If the tides are being announced a few days out, the council will warn us. So certain atmospheric... Uh, conditions, John, correct me if I'm wrong, would lead to certain air quality conditions. So if you know they're coming, you can make a prediction. Or is that overly simplifying it? No, that, 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 that's a good explanation, to be honest. You know, the uh, weather conditions we have during the winter months when it's cold and, and, and slack winds, you know, air pollutant from, really, we're talking uh, solid fuel fires in the home, um, that smoke that's emitted just, just lingers and hangs around in the city. And we've been monitoring that now for the last couple of years, and we've seen it just spread around the city um, pretty evenly. Um, and, and, and we can get this information to the people probably in advance because we know what the weather is going to be like. You know, that cold spell we had recently, for example, in the crackler, we all knew that there was going to be air pollution. We were telling people on Twitter um, about this day, a few days beforehand. Mm. Um, so we can make that information available. It's a question of... Um, making that information uh, right. We all know about public messaging now in the COVID times. You've got to get it right. Yeah. You've got to make it understandable for people and also how they use that information is important. Um, yeah. You know, understanding human behaviour uh, in response to a, a risk like exposure to air pollution or exposure to COVID is really important. That's why we've also teamed up with people in the School of Applied Psychology in putting together a survey to ask people um, about their understanding of air pollution and how this might change their behaviour. Let me bring in Dean Venables, who uh, was the research lead on this project. Dean, good morning. Hello, PJ. I'm, I'm probably oversimplifying it when I think, right, I get a flood warning on the news and I get a Metairon weather warning either on the weather forecast or through my phone. This is where we're headed eventually, Dean. I think so, um, because what we know is that air quality really does impact on, on human health and, um, you know, there's the, we now have the ability to forecast what the uh, 
what the air quality is going to be. So as John mentioned, the example of going for the walk in the evening is, is certainly one uh, example. Um, so what that does is that means that you could reduce your own personal exposure to high levels of pollution. The other aspect of this, which I think is quite interesting, is that if we are able to forecast the air quality is going to be bad, and we're able to get out a message to people to say, hey, if you have a choice, don't light your fires tonight. Then we have the possibility to actually influence the air quality in a positive way that could, that could benefit everybody in the city. Okay. So I think it's quite an interesting one because we're not just thinking about the usual type of monitoring that we've done, which is to say what the air quality is right now, but we're looking into the future. So you could say, right, given the weather conditions, and we'll say, for example, it takes the form of of a a news message that the at the end of the news, you would say air air quality in Cork tonight is such that it's not recommended you light a coal fire. Yeah. So so the, the question we have is how will people respond to this information? And so we've got the survey out asking how, how they respond both in terms of their personal exposure, but also whether they'd consider not lighting their fires, for mm-hmm. example. Um, and then we also ask what do people know about air pollution and what's the best way to reach them? Mm-hmm. Is it through you know, the message on the radio as they're coming home in the evenings or is it, um, is it through a tweet or something else like that? There's a thing, a lot of people mightn't understand how the weather affects the air quality. So in, t- in simple terms, looking out today, dull, dreary, damp all day, that air quality is at a particular level. If we get some clear, cold, crisp sunshine, air quality is completely different. How does the weather affect it? In, as simply put as you can. What happens is the way in which we produce air pollutants, which is primarily from human activities, is very regular. You know, uh, people are driving to work. Uh, that's a very regular activity. It happens between certain times. And they light their fires, usually between 4 and uh, 6 p.m. And we, we see these big sort of spikes at very regular types of uh, times during the day. So we know what they are. What changes in terms of the actual level of air pollution uh, is, you know, what the wind is doing, um, what, uh, what the temperature is. So when the wind is blowing strongly, that removes the air pollution away from, from where we're living very quickly, and so the levels are quite low. When the, uh, when the wind speed is low and we have very cold conditions where the pollution is essentially trapped in the layer closest to the ground, then those pollution levels can build up to very, very high levels indeed. And the sorts of levels we see are, are kind of close to, you know, really quite dirty um, developing cities like Delhi and so on that can be very right. dirty. Right. Um, it, it does tend to occur just periodically. So we're not speaking about an air pollution warning every day or every week. It's, it's more sort of sporadic. And the way in which I'd say we can use this information is to look at when the air quality is really going to be the worst and then ask people to reduce their exposure and possibly stop lighting their fires. Now you've already got a website going where people can look at it on an ongoing basis as it is. We do. Well, we, that's really the City Council. Um, And uh, as John said, shout out to the City Council. This is really the most innovative um, network of sensors uh, in Ireland. 
Um, so we've got uh, about 14 sensors scattered around the city, and you can see what the air pollution does. And if you click on the, um, the site, you can also see the time profile across several days. Um, it's called the Purple Air site. So if you go to Purple Air, and you can look on the map for Cork City, and you can see the locations of different sites, maybe one in your neighborhood. And then if you look at the, if you click on it, you can see how the air quality has varied. And if you do that, what you'll see is this very regular pattern of big spikes of pollution um, in the late afternoon, early evening. So we know the times when we need to, to take extra care. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting. Thank you, Dean. Appreciate that. And good luck with the research. And thank you also, John Wenger, um, from the, or John Wenger from the, the crack lab at, at UCC. I always find that funny. I get fierce images of breaking bad. And then I have to tell people, no, that's the center for research into atmospheric chemistry. But they you know, pollution builds in winter. It's different today than it would be on a cold, crisp morning. And the website is there and all that. Right, we've collated all our various platforms. We had Twitter, uh, we had the text, and we had the WhatsApp asking you the question, did you think that Michal Martin should go to Washington, D.C. to meet Joe Biden, as he says he's not ruling out? Or do you think he should stay at home and do it on Skype, do the whole thing online just for the year that's in it? Uh, 83% of you across all of our platforms 83% of you believe that Michal Martin should uh, stay at home just this once and meet Joe online 185715996 that's it for today the program edited by Terry Brennan produced and researched by Fergal Barry we shall see you tomorrow just after 9 Hi I'm Daniel founder of Pretty Litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain I learned this the hard way after losing my cat Gingy so I created Pretty Litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors saving you money and potentially your cat's life Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy Terms and conditions apply see site for details Want truly hydrated skin? Medocia's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER.